on a quiet Thursday afternoon. I'm Ben Kenny. Welcome in, everybody. It is On the Clock on Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio WIP. It's a, I mean, we're officially in the lulls. We are officially away from uh, the time of year where rumors are thrown around every day. The Phillies, after signing Aaron Nola, really haven't done anything of substance. But it's also a time where things are about to heat up, and they're going to heat up really quick. Winter meetings start December 4th. That is in a week, I think. Less than a week. I don't know. But by the time we speak next week at this time, there's going to be a lot going on in the sport and a lot going on in regards to this baseball team. So I wanted to do somewhat of a sit-back and a check-in. It's kind of a reset Friday. I'm going to start branding the days. And I know this show only comes out on Friday, so it's only going to be about Fridays. This is a reset Friday. What we're doing today, uh, again, on the clock, Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio WIP. Subscribe to the podcast and uh, all the stuff that podcast people are supposed to say. So here's where I'm at today. This is where I wanted to start. We'll get into some around baseball stuff. We'll get into this name that I'm interested in. But I wanted to start with what I think is going on around the sport. I think there's an arms race at the moment to be the Phillies and to top the Phillies, which we... I mean, have not been able to say has been the case since I don't know when. Because there hasn't been this type of Philadelphia Phillies run that has been this dominant and I think this scary to the rest of the sport. Go back to 2008. They beat the Tampa Bay Rays. They had a kind of easy path through the playoffs, and they crushed the Dodgers. I think Dodgers-wise, they were like, we need to gear up to beat the Phillies. They were never able to. And then the Phillies lost to the Giants, and you know the whole story. But there wasn't a top-of-the-sport dominance with that team, although it was probably the best stretch of Phillies baseball ever, and it resulted in a title, I don't think that there were teams around Major League Baseball gearing up and saying, we have to build a team to beat the Phillies. I think right now, looking across the National League especially, and across the sport, but definitely the National League, teams are gearing up to try to beat the Phillies. And it sounds very simplistic to say, but think about it this way. The Braves, the last two postseasons, lost to the Phils each time. Great team, right? We know how good those Brave teams are. But each time, it's like they're built so well in the regular season to beat the crap out of teams. And then they run into this pitching staff we have here, and things go quiet. Meanwhile, they have Spencer Strider. They have top-end pitching, but they clearly lacked another guy. They had to start Bryce Elder at Citizens Bank Park, and we all know how that went. The game was, it was like a 10-1 baseball game. Charlie Morton gets hurt. He's old. Their team is better constructed for the regular season, not as well constructed to beat the Phillies. The Dodgers, I would say the same thing. Even though the Phillies have not met them, the Dodgers lost to the Diamondbacks this year. Their pitching is a mess. And you've seen that like they're out there trying to get guys. The Mets, I think, I mean, they need to beat the Phillies. They need to actually win in the playoffs. But a lot of what Steve Cohen is spending is he is trying to build a team now, or he tried to do it with Verlander and Scherzer, to beat the to, to take the Phillies' crown. I, I think a key distinction in all that's going on right now is the Braves and the Dodgers and the Mets and all these great National League teams are not gearing up to beat the Diamondbacks, the NL champions, who represented the National League again in the World Series. Because that Diamondbacks team isn't, it's not as scary as the one in Philadelphia, but it's also one that, that I don't think those teams think that they have to measure up against. 
Like the Braves can look at the Diamondbacks and say, okay, yeah, we meet them in the playoffs, though, we'll kill them. The Dodgers, I mean, while they lost to them last year, I think they think the same thing. The Dodgers just had a weird, everybody got cold, everybody sucked. And the, and the Mets and all of the high-spending teams, I think, look at the Diamondbacks and are not at all intimidated. But they look at what's happening in Philadelphia for the last two seasons, should have been two straight NL crowns with this great atmosphere, with this electric elite hitting, with a pitching staff, with two horses at the top, guys that seem to always be pitching their best in the playoffs. They look at that and they say, okay, that's what we have to gear up to beat. And I think a lot of the postseason moves, or lack of moves, but at least the attempted moves, have been to accomplish that purpose. And you could just look, uh, a, a report came out in the last week after the Phillies re-signed NOLA that said the Dodgers and the Braves were hot on NOLA's heels. Now, not only do I think that they're smart because NOLA had, brings a lot of value, but they see what NOLA is in Philadelphia, and they know if they take him away from Philadelphia, that gives them that advantage over the team here. Braves and the Dodgers going after NOLA. You have Dylan Cease, White Sox pitcher. I mean, a top-end guy, had a rough year, but I think if someone were to trade for him, he would be viewed at as one of the elite pitchers in the National League. The recent, uh, the recent rumor is that the Braves are, are top dogs on him. The Braves are up there. John Morosi. The Dylan Cease trade talks have intensified the last 48 hours, and uh, Cease's hometown Braves are among the finalists. Now, I think the Dodgers have uh, Dodgers have been mentioned for him. I think they are in play for him as well. But that is, again, the Braves and the Dodgers looking at this Philadelphia team and saying, what do we need to beat them? And the answer is better top-end pitching to shut down this lineup. Again, the Diamondbacks somehow got it with Brandon Fatt and Merrill Kelly, who pitched a hell of a series, and I credit them. But those top dogs are looking at Philadelphia and wondering how can they beat them. Uh, the Mets for Yamamoto, I think, is partially the same thing. The Dodgers need Yamamoto. Now, the Dodgers are doing Otani, too, but he won't pitch next year. So I classify that differently. But the entire point I'm trying to make here, and I think it kind of informs how the Phillies should go about the rest of their offseason, is that the Phillies are, right now, a championship team that is built perfectly to beat the Braves to beat the Dodgers, to beat the other top dogs, and to win in the playoffs. And a lot of what, a lot of what's done in the offseason and a lot of what should be done leading into the season is how do we get through the season and into the playoffs? Because we know once we're there, we are that team. We are the team that people fear. We are not the team that is just a free roll of the dice, let's make a run. That was 2022. Now that you've done it twice, and by done it, I mean beat the Braves and been on the doorstep of an NL title, now you are that team. So when I look around and the other top dogs are trying to make moves to beat the Phillies, they're not doing so to try to beat the Diamondbacks. They're going for pitchers with a proven record in the postseason because they knew that that has been their downfall in facing the elite and the great teams in the NL. So I look inward, and that's all the external stuff. That's outward. That is how I digest what's going on across the National League. I look inward, and it's clear that the Phillies still have a an intangible winning aura that I don't think you could teach. And some teams have and some teams don't. I'm going to argue that Ronald Acuna does not have that. There are far too many instances that I've seen in the playoffs and in general of him. I mean, not coming up in a big moment is easy to say, but you go back to the 2022 series, he's not backing up center field. He's getting sulky. 
It just doesn't have that aura. He's a great front runner, but does he have enough to bring a team back when they're behind? Bryce Harper does. I don't think Ronald Acuna does in those moments. So the Phillies have that, and it's intangible. It's hard to teach, and you don't know until you see it. It's like the quote-unquote it factor. Like the Phillies have that it factor. So is this team, as it's currently constructed with Nola back, is it good enough to get back to the doorstep? Is it good enough to get back to where we want them to be, which is in the World Series? I think the answer is yes. I think part of, I mean, part of the other teams going out to try to beat them shows you that. But I think also just, like, you look up and down this roster, how am I going to argue that this team isn't good enough and that they need another big move? That's the big message I want to send. Is these big moves, I, we talk ourselves into them because we have seen them happen in the last postseasons. We've seen it happen with Castellanos, Schwarber, Trey Turner. I mean, Harper was years ago. But as the team was getting constructed, the big moves helped to, I mean, accelerate that construction and to get the team to where it is today. But when I look at it right now, do they need another one of those guys? Absolutely not. Being a championship team to me is, and, and someone smarter than me is going to have to help me with this, but it's uh, what's, when there are two options, a binomial, whatever. It's like the, it, you either are a championship team or you're not. It's not as if there's a, there's a spectrum of championship caliber teams. If I ask anybody on the street, hey, are the Phillies going into next year? Someone that knows baseball, not, not one of these idiots out here. Say, hey, are the Phillies a championship caliber team? They would say yes. So making another one of these big moves doesn't make them more championship caliber. That's impossible. You either are or you aren't. So the thought of, oh, they should trade for Trout, include Castellanos, include a bunch of our prospects, trade for Trout, that'll push them over the top. Like, I don't think these, this team needs pushing over the top. And I don't think a trade for Trout does that. I don't think some huge trade for, for Juan Soto does that. It's exciting. That's what it is. We want to get excited because we as fans want to feel that something is different. We don't want to get caught in the cycle of knowing that we're just going for the same exact result, which I don't think, or at least I would hope that there's some learning being done and that the same result is not going to happen. But that's where I am. I think the Phillies lost the last two years because they were bad with some small stuff. And especially last year, they were bad with small stuff. They weren't bad with big stuff. Big stuff is missing a player. Big stuff is not having the pitcher required to get you there or not having any good bullpen pieces. They have all that. They lost because of small stuff. They lost because they couldn't make contact. A couple guys didn't come up big in big spots, and they kind of sputtered as a team. They got a little full of themselves. That's small stuff. That's correctable stuff. So here's the, here's the, here's the comp I want to make. The 2009 Phillies lost to a better team in the World Series, the Yankees. They were a better team. Now, Utley almost carried them there, and some of the Phillies got cold. But the Yankees were a better baseball team. I think looking back, we can accept that. That's why adding Roy Halladay and Roy Oswalt and all those guys over the next couple years were necessary. The team had to get better. It just didn't work out at the end. I think those moves still were really good moves. They tried to maximize said window. The 2022 Phillies lost to a better team in the Astros. Now, this year's Astros, not as good as the Astros team the Phillies lost to. But then the 2022 Phillies entering 2023 got better. They added Trey Turner. They were deeper in the bullpen. I think we can all agree with Chris Sanchez out there instead of 
freaking Syndergaard and Falter. They were a better team last year than they were in 2022. It just didn't work out. So I look at next year, and the Phillies did not lose to a better team in the Diamondbacks. They just lost. And I'm still coming to grips with accepting it. It still sucks. But when I look ahead to next season, it's not changing how I feel about the offseason and what the team needs to do. Retaining Nola was a massive piece of it to keep him away from the Braves and to maintain what you have because you know it's good enough. If you had lost Nola to the Braves or the Dodgers, then things change. But I don't think that a trout trade is necessary. I don't care about preseason juice. I don't really care about all of the, the hype and the hoopla that'll come around it. Trading for Mike Trout, as I have said, is not going to make you more championship caliber because you already are. Again, you either are or you are not. And the Phillies are. Now, does a hot Mike Trout help the team win? Absolutely. I'm not going to dispute that. But it's not as if they weren't good enough and now they are good enough because they trade for Mike Trout. What it is doing, actually, is, I mean, you're probably trading Castellanos, who has the potential, while he has his shortcomings and they affected the team, Castellanos has the potential to carry the offense for a certain amount of time. You're trading Castellanos, probably, for the contract. You're trading some prospects. You are putting a lot of your viability as a team into Mike Trout's health. You are relying on Mike Trout's health to get you over the top and to get there, which we know, I mean, is just not, it's not necessarily a, a great bet to make. So instead of these big moves that everybody talks about as necessary to bring the team, again, over the top, I hate to be redundant, Instead of that stuff, I think you just need great fits. You need great moves around the edges. You need to clean up the edges because the core of what you have still works and is still really good. Like I've, I've seen people bring up Alex Bregman. And while he does fit their mold, he's a right-handed hitter. He makes contact. He's a winner. He's coming from the Astros. That would move Harper back to the outfield because he plays third. Bone plays first. Harper goes to the outfield. Castellanos goes to left or whatever. I don't like how restrictive it is. All these moves, you have to think about what can give us a lot of flexibility or give Thompson a lot of flexibility. And what, what moves can we make where one injury or one bad thing happening doesn't ruin our hopes? And I think trading for Trout does that because if he gets hurt, you're done. You're screwed. Now, if Trout was on last year's team, I think you win. So that's, I mean, that's the part of it where it could all work out perfectly. That's why I trade for Trout at the deadline, not this offseason. But if Trout gets hurt, then what are you doing? Then you're out there with, well, you're out there without Castellanos. You, like, you are suddenly shorthanded and don't have the offensive firepower needed. That's why I, I don't want to underrate Castellanos. Like, I'm, I'm pissed at the guy, but he's worth a lot more to the Phillies than he is to another team. And, I mean, he has been surprisingly durable. He's out there every day playing, which, again, you have to get there first. And Trout's availability, I'm scared won't be able to get them there. So I do think, I guess this is another, there are many conclusions from these thoughts, but I think there is a perfect name for this team. And I'll get to him coming up in a little bit. That's the second segment. I have talked myself into what I think should be the next move for the Phillies. But I mean, the general take here is people want a big prospect for player trade. They want to start mortgaging the future like Dave Dombrowski is so well known to do they want they want to trade prospects for the big player and I mean why do that this is what if you have an owner that'll spend money and it's such a luxury that the Phillies do why would you 
make that trade when you could just improve your team by paying somebody and not trading those prospects? Because I think what, what I want the Phillies to create is a Dodger situation. Now, that's going to ring a lot of negative bells. Oh, you want to create a Dodger situation? Well, they've lost in the playoffs every year. I know, they have. But what the Dodgers have been are perennial contenders where a championship window does not exist. There is no window because they are that good every single season. 100 games every season. Now, are there ways in season to better prepare them for the playoffs? Maybe. Maybe they haven't had a Bryce Harper to take them over the top in the postseason. But if the Phillies can create a Dodger situation with Bryce Harper here in town, then we're not talking about a window existing. Then, as soon as JT is too old and Castellanos and Schwarber and those guys are gone, Harper and Turner are still here. And then you get, and you have Stott and Bohm, you get another infusion. A Justin Crawford comes up. Rojas learns how to hit. Um, the guy that just drafted, I'm, I'm totally blanking on his name. But you get what I'm saying. It's like once those older guys get old and, and are done, then you have this new infusion and you're always that good. You could always sign new guys. Maybe you make a trade on the edges. I'm Aiden Miller. That's who I'm thinking of. Like when he comes up. So I'm against trading these guys. Not that I want to build for the future, but I want what the Phillies have to be sustainable. And that's why I'm so petrified of a big move this offseason being that thing that kind of might set the team over the edge, but also could be the thing we point to as the reason that they weren't good enough in the future years. Because again, I think this team is good enough right now. So making them more good enough would help, and I think you could do it, but I would rather do it by paying somebody and losing nothing than by trading for a big name, by trading for Juan Soto or trading for Trout. It'd be exciting, and I would, I mean, hand up, I would get into it. Like, it's hard It's hard not to get excited about Mike Trout. But I would not do the move because a, a free agent acquisition, I think, much better. I mean, it could help the team more if they're available all season, but it also could set the team up well for the future and keep that all alive. And then you're also talking, like, I, I look at the trade deadline as the big moment for this team coming up because like what happened last offseason, Turner's their big acquisition. And Turner sucked for half the season. And then at the deadline in August, he turns it around, and that's great. But they didn't make a big move at the deadline because Turner was that offseason guy. I don't want that to happen again. I don't want the offseason move to be made and then have there not be enough of a jolt at the deadline. They brought in Lorenzen and freaking Rodolfo Castro and expected that to be enough to bring them over the top. Lorenzen pitched, what, an inning and a half in the playoffs? inning in a third, and Rodolfo Castro was in Florida. There wasn't enough of the deadline. I am, I mean, I'm up here saying that I don't want to trade prospects because I think the team's good enough. There also might be a situation where a big hole opens. If there's an injury, God forbid if Nola goes down or Wheeler goes down, you're like, we need a starter. You don't know that in the offseason, but you will know it, in theory, by the time deadline time comes around. Then you can make a trade then. Then you could, that's the thing you need to get the team over the top. So there's my, and that was a long spiel, but there's my extended spiel on the approach that I want the Phillies to have and why, I mean, I still look at the free agent market as the best way to improve this team. E even if it doesn't take that many big prospects, the act of mortgaging part of your future for a piece that I could also just pay, and if my owner's fine with paying it, I'll pay it. I, I think it's a little short-sighted, and I think it loses sight of the fact that this team is already good enough 
and getting more, again, broken record time, getting more championship-capable, quote-unquote, isn't, isn't possible. Like you either are or you aren't, and the Phillies are. So whatever acquisition they make, think about it this way. It's only worth it if they're hot for the couple weeks in October. I would have a better chance at guessing who's going to be hot in October in August when I see how the seasons are going, as opposed to before the season. So if Mike Trout's not available in October, then that trade is a disaster. It is a franchise-altering disaster. So I, I'm i a little petrified of that, and, and I would not make it. So there you go. Um, it, it's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. I, uh, so, so there are names that I do want. I don't just want to ramble about the things I don't want the Phillies to do. There are names that, that I do want that I think will fit this team. I think there's a clear position of improvement where this team can be made better. And uh, Matt Gelb laid out a couple numbers well. I want to go over them. And then a guy that I think will fit them perfectly where when we talk about better around the edges, there are free agents that are pretty cheap that'll do so, which I think would be the much more intelligent way of, of improving this team. And you're not risking much by doing so. So that's what we'll touch on next. I'm Ben Kenny. It's on the clock. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. It is on the clock. Ben Kenny with you. Again, winter meetings are coming up in a bit. Um, and, and I should have done this before I started uh, recording again. Checking to make sure that big news is not dropping. But it's Thursday afternoon. So if it does, again, I apologize. Not something I'll get to on this show. But winter meetings are going on next week. Apparently some Otani news might drop in that time. MOB Network on Twitter, by the way, has been awesome in terms of the stuff they put out and uh, just like general commentary on everything, but also naming, obviously, teams with players, explaining the fits, things of that nature. You had big news in Milwaukee, not great counsel being a fraud, but something relating to their big prospect, Jackson Churio. And I'll touch on that a little later as well. I mean, it's going to inform how small market teams go about building rosters. I think it's really intelligent for the Brewers' side of things. Again, not uh, Craig Council being a gigantic fraud. But that's aside from the general point, which is where the Phillies are right now. Again, I, I approach this as a team that's ready and that needs a couple smaller improvements. So, I, I mean, with the NOLA signing, look at it this way. The rotation, Wheeler, NOLA, Ranger, Taiwan, Chris Sanchez. That, that can get me through a season. I know it can. Would I like Yamamoto? Heck yeah. I mean, he falls under. I would like free agent moves. That falls under a perfect free agent move. Now, the problem is the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and everybody's going after Yamamoto. So it's unlikely for the Phillies. But I look at this rotation. I think it is good enough. I do. I would not say no to another piece in it, but... I mean, one projected one signed recently. Hilarious. We'll talk about him in a bit. But that's the rotation. You have a lineup, and this is not the lineup, but the defensive alignment more. Romuto, Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, Marsh, Rojas, Pache, those three guys together, Castellanos. So, uh, and, and then the bullpen. That's nine hitters, five starting pitchers, six relievers in the bullpen, which I didn't go through. But that's a... That's a roster. That's a team. That's not a team with a glaring, glaring hole. Now, the big, the big improvement opportunity is in the outfield. We all know that. It's mainly in left field, but it's with the Marsh-Rojas-Pache grouping. Marsh played 116 games. This is from 
Matt Gelb in the Athletic. 116 games in 2023, which is a lot when you actually sit back and think about it. It felt like he sat a lot against lefties. He has been improving a bit against lefties. He's not all the way there. He's not an, all, a, an everyday player yet. But I love Brandon Marsh, and I think he figures into this team going forward. But Schwarber played 100-plus games in the outfield, believe it or not. I know we, we have wiped it co- totally from our minds because in the playoffs he didn't. But Schwarber was an outfielder on that team. So that's another 100 innings. And then you also have Castellanos, who has played almost or 100 games for Schwarber. You have Castellanos, who's played almost 1,300 innings in the last two seasons in right field, which, again, is durability for Castellanos that I did not expect to see and is somewhat, I mean, it's really surprising. So even with Marsh and Rojas being close to everyday players, and that's assuming a lot given Rojas's bat, you add those numbers together and you need a lot more depth because the math does not add up. Last year's team had Castellanos in right field every game. It had Marsh playing 100-plus. It had Schwarber playing 100-plus. It had Rojas playing a lot. Didn't have Pache because he was hurt a lot of the time. But you're talking about a lot of innings with Schwarber now being a DH every day or most of the days. A lot of innings you have to fill. And it's an easy improvement opportunity because a lot of good bats play left field. Now, you want to find a fine defensive guy, too. Marsh is terrific at it. But a lot of good bats play left field. So if you want to make the lineup better, it's a very easy place to improve. So you need, like even if Marge Rojas play every day, I guess this is the point, depth is still needed. But I think you can configure the lineup in interesting ways where you can get an acquisition to play almost every day. And my name, my guy that I've been circling and I have finally landed on is Whit Merrifield, former Toronto Blue Jay, former Kansas City Royal, He's old, so that is part of the reason that he will not be had for a lot of money. He's 34. He made his debut when he was 27, so it took him a while to get up to the bigs. He finally got there. He stuck around. He's had some great seasons, or he had some great seasons, especially in Kansas City. Hit over 300 a couple years in a row, a lot of stolen bases. He's fast, had 200 hits in a year with the Royals. Last year uh, in Toronto, he was okay. He hit 272, split time between second base and left field. OPS around 700, which is not great. I will be the first one to tell you that. Strikes out a little too much. He doesn't walk enough. So you're hearing all that. You're like, but like, why in the world would I be interested in this guy? Why, like, why does he fit? He's old, but he's experienced. He's been around the block. I do think he is a leader in the locker room. I think he brings impressive, just older intangibles. He's played second base, left field, and right field in Toronto, mainly left field and second base. But that gives a situation where he could play left field one day. He could play second base if Stott needs a breather. He could be the super utility guy that I think is mature enough to know that if he's getting paid to do that, he'll accept it, and he might want to win. Like He's not at a point in his career where he is starving for every single day at the same position. I think he is unselfish enough to be happy with a role like that. So if that's the role you put him in, it's a guy last year he played in 145 games, almost 600 plate appearances, 11 homers, 27 doubles, 26 stolen bases. He's fast. He could test teams on the ground, which this Phillies team clearly loves. Like he can add to that. And you're sliding him in as, I mean, a, a bottom-ish of the order 
Like, you're not paying this guy that much. I'm not acting like this is the biggest move in the history of the world. But it fits so well because defensively, he can play multiple positions. He is an average left fielder. He's not great, but he's not horrible. He's better than Schwarber. And I think he brings a durable bat. Where you know every day he's a pro, he'll show up. I think putting him in the ecosystem of the Phillies will be beneficial to him as a player and beneficial to the team, greatly beneficial to the team. So, I, I mean, he's been playing. He played in Kansas City, which is a loser place for the most part. Then he goes to Toronto, who are winning games. But I there's something about this Phillies team. You're adding offensive veterans to it. I think it works. Now, another piece of this, which I like, is we well, hit 272. He had an on-base of 318. So, again, he doesn't walk that much. But he's better against righties than he is against lefties. And he played a lot more against righties last year than he did lefties, which is interesting on the surface because he's a right-handed hitter. You would think as a righty, he hit lefties more. But he hits righties at a 277 clip with a 324 on base. He hits lefties with a 260 clip-ish, 300 on base. It's a guy that can play against both, though. It's not a guy that's a pure platoon. If you were going to find a pure platoon, which I brought up, uh, Jock Peterson, Tommy Pham, pair them with Marsh or move Marsh to center, you could do it that way. But there's also something to be said for a steady bat against both sides coming at him. And a guy that, again, you could put in the lineup every day, but in different roles and hit him seventh or eighth. And you know he's just going to give you good at bats. Or I would expect him to give good at bats. So I think he fits really, really well on this team as a left fielder. And um, again, it's not a big name, but it's not going to bring over pressure, uh, overt over-the-top pressure on him to perform. He's not Mike Trout. I think about, and this pressure might not mean anything, but it meant something to Castellanos and it meant something to Turner. Nothing to Schwarber, but yes, something to Castellanos and clearly something to Turner. Imagine being Mike Trout, knowing Philadelphia. He goes to the Eagles games. He knows what it's like here. To be traded to Philadelphia and know that while the team's really damn good, a lot of the season's expectations and what we want as fans is on his shoulders as, you know, freaking Mike Trout. So what happens if he comes here and he doesn't perform or doesn't perform up to Mike Trout levels? The pressure is gigantic on him. And if he doesn't live up to that, like, what are we, what are we doing? You know, it's like we're just creating a vacuum and an endless cycle of really exciting players that don't live up to the hype because we as fans put pressure on them or they just feel pressured. I don't know. But Merrifield doesn't come with that pressure. So I think it's a fit. I think it's a good around-the-edges move that will help the team win baseball games. And should be it should help the team be in a good position in the playoffs. Now there's another side to this where if he isn't as good, I think, again, as a veteran, he can understand a role as he could become your bench bat. He could be a good guy to come off the bench in a pinch hit situation. What if you want to go get a big left-field power bat or left field contact bat at the deadline. You could still do that. You could still play Marsh and Rojas in center. And I would think that with Merrifield, I figure it's going to be a shorter term deal. He's old. He would be okay with being on the bench and not playing every day again and contributing how he can contribute. This guy's 34 years old. I think he's made a good amount of money. If I'm not mistaken in his career, I should find that. Um, 
definitely signed a five-year, $26.5 million deal in 19. He's made some money. He's made some money. So, And he's not in for a big payday. Like He's a 34-year-old left-field second baseman whose best days are behind him. But in this team, with what they need, they need dependability, especially come playoff time. That's what killed them. They need, I mean, a dependable right-handed bat that can make contact and play a little defense and just be a positive contributor, which Rodolfo Castro was not. So, like, that's what it is. And if you want to bring him in and then, again, make a move at the deadline, I would figure he would be one that would be okay with it. And he would be valuable off the bench. You didn't have a guy like this off the bench. And if you did, you probably would have pinch hit for Rojas with the bases loaded in the fourth inning. Everyone talks about Pache. Oh, why did they bring up Pache to pinch hit? Like, are, are you kidding? You're trusting Pache in that spot? I know Rojas did nothing, but you're trusting Christian Pache to get a hit there? At least give me a pro. At least give me a vet. And that's what Merrifield is. So there you go. That's, that, that's the guy I'm looking at. That's who I think can improve this team. And then I would be okay moving forward. I still like Jock Peterson. I still like Tommy Pham. Neither of those guys are signed. Neither of those I, I don't think I've seen big rumors about. So I'll check up on that for next week, where those things stand. But the general message is left field, utility-wise, outfield utility is a place where the team can be improved. And there are pretty easy improvement opportunities out there in free agency that do not require a big blockbuster trade that includes your prospects and includes really mortgaging some of your success into the health of whatever player you get. So that's where I am today. I have seen a guy like Randy Rosarena apparently is being shopped, which I think is is crap. I know that there are some there are some Twitter accounts out there that aren't in the business of breaking news that act as if they are, and it seemed to come from one of those. But if Randy Rosarena's available, left fielder from the Rays, he's under club control until 2026. He's not a free agent until 2027. I don't know why the Rays would move him because he's the lifeblood, the heart and soul of their team and they're not paying him anything, which works so well in Tampa Bay. But if he is available, then sure, okay, that's a guy I'd be okay trading for because he's younger. I th- I mean, it would be very exciting, but I think he would maybe fit. I think it makes more sense than a trout trade, but I still would really hesitate to give up a lot of top prospects for a guy when I can go out in the free market and pay him if I'm Middleton and they do at least a, a solid amount of the same thing for me, right? Like if you get Bregman, what are you what prospects are you paying up for Bregman who's gonna give you maybe like one more win above replacement than Alec Bohm? It's like these these moves on the margins aren't it's not the difference between Freddie Galvis and I, I I hate to use him as an example. It's not the difference between Cody Ashey at third base and Nolan Arenado. Right, like that's that's substantial. That's massive. Instead, we're talking about the difference. We're we're talking about a minuscule difference over the large span of a season. So it's really about who's hot in the playoffs. And I think I, I mean, I don't know. Rosarena's been hot in the playoffs, sure. But I think I could pay guys instead of trade for them that can do that purpose. So that's the general message that's ringing through today. And that's I mean, I'll keep pumping that home because that's what. That's what I spent the week thinking about. It was It's a reset Friday. I wanted to reset my thoughts about the team in large part entering winter meetings 
because a lot of the big shoes are going to drop. You're going to get Otani somewhere. You're going to get Yamamoto somewhere. You're going to get a Soto trade reportedly. We'll touch on that in a couple minutes. Like all these things are set to happen. And I wanted to reset where I was on the team. And the more I thought about it, the better I felt about how they're equipped this season and in the future to succeed. Dombrowski has not mortgaged the farm. And the one knock on him coming here was he is known to gut farm systems and kill them. Now, I bet you in Boston right now, they miss Dave Dombrowski big time because whatever they have going on there is disastrous. But that's also ownership, not really paying money. Here it's like he, uh, Dave Dombrowski came here and we wondered, okay, will he gut our farm system? And he's not doing it. He's building winners without gutting the farm system. So why in the world do we suddenly want to ask him to do that? Like, hey, by the way, you can gut our farm system. Feel free. We don't, we don't feel that way anymore. It's like no chance. No chance. I think this team can be, again, sign somebody. Improve that way. There you go. All right, it's, it's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny, 94 WIP, Phillies 24-7. I'm on Twitter, at Ben Z. Kenny, for more immediate reactions to, that, to what is going on in the baseball world. To I mean, Tiger Woods made his golf return today. He was one under through 14 and then completely melted down down the stretch. Not that anybody cares, but that is what we're monitoring right now. The transfer portal in college football is crazy. Uh, so if you want that or, I mean, uh, importantly, Iowa-Michigan coming up Saturday in the Big Ten title game, nobody cares. But that is what we're monitoring uh, on those mediums. So there you go. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. When we come back. Big picture MLB news. There is a Shohei update. The Cardinals are hilarious. And there's some soda rumblings. We'll touch on all of them when we come back. All right. We are back. It is on the clock. Ben Kenny here. I'm going to give you a bunch of names. And we're going to start. This is how we're going to start this exercise of looking across baseball as to what's happening. You tell me, and it's a podcast, so you can't tell me. But think about this for a minute as I run through these names. What do these names all have in common? Drew Rahm should ring a bell, rang a bell for me. Zach Thompson, these are baseball players. Drew Rahm, Zach Thompson, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, remember him, former Philly legend, mop-up Gibby, Sonny Gray, and Miles Michaelis. What do all of those players have in common? And really how it should be read is Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, Lance Lynn, and Kyle Gibson. That, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm sure you have come to understand with the reading of Michaelis, is the starting rotation of the St. Louis Cardinals. I do not have their ages in front of me. That would have been way too smart on my end to do. I, I don't. I can tell you what year they're born, but I'm not doing math. But they're old. The message is they're old. Lance, it's like the Cardinals are looking at this offseason saying, Pujols is gone, Yachty's gone, the magic is all gone. We have all these new guys in. We sucked last year. We tried to give all this money to Nola. He didn't want to come play for our loser organization. It's no longer baseball heaven. But let's try this. Let's try this. If there is any Cardinal devil black magic out there, we'll know if we're able to win games with Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Sonny Gray, and Miles Michaelis as our top four pitchers. Like, are, are you kidding me? 
You're signing Kyle Gibson to give you reliable innings, and you're trying to win? Lance Lynn, you think he's going to reclaim whatever he was doing years ago? It's like, I, Sonny Gray was one of the bigger ticket acquisitions. Three years, $75 million. Man, he's 34, 33. I don't know what the Cardinals are doing. Well, I know what they're doing. They're trying to find if there are any drops left in the bucket that, that their, you know, devil magic stuff is. But give me a give me a break. You think that is going to get you to the playoffs and contend with the top teams? Imagine, imagine if you're the Phillies and you have a seven-game series against the Cardinals. Game one is Sonny Gray. Oh, we're petrified, but we have Wheeler on the mound, so we'll win. Then for the next four days, you see Miles Michaelis, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Zach Thompson. It's like, how, how are you losing that series? Man. And meanwhile, you have Goldschmidt, Arenado, two stellar players at the end of their careers. I mean, I, I feel bad for them. I do. I feel bad for, I don't feel bad for Cardinals fans in the slightest. But the Phillies killed the Cardinals. Remember that. That inning where Marmol, their manager, kept Helsley out there, even though he had a blister, might have just ended the Cardinals, like forever. They signed Sonny Gray this week. So there you go. Uh, John Heyman did report that Shohei may sign at the winter meetings. Now, Sh- Shohei's doing all this stuff, and, and I guess there's a little, it's not controversy, but it's there's discussion about whether he should be talking to the media and how he's going about it. Which MLB is, I mean, pumping up this. I mean, this is one of the biggest free agent decisions in the history of sports, given the magnitude of him as a persona and as a player. I don't think he has to do anything. I don't think he has to be talking to the media about his decision. I think he can go about it however he wants. Seriously. And, I I mean, I kind of like the mystery of it. I like when we don't hear a peep from the person, and instead it's all of us out there trying to drum up what's going to happen. Or we're, I mean, we're reading the tea leaves of what John Heyman says or Morosi. That makes it more fun. And then one day, bang. There it is. I kind of like that way of going about it. So Shohei may sign in the next couple of weeks. There's an arms race for Juan Soto. It looks like he is going to be traded. Like pretty pretty firmly like he is going to be traded. Padres have to cut payroll. They're a disaster. And the Yankees are gearing up to do it. Apparently, they were talking about players. Like they're close. Juan Soto feels like a Yankee. I mean... We've talked about the Ted Williams nature of Soto. He's incredible, and he was doing incredible things at a young age. But, I mean, man, imagine the more perfect Yankee that you hate. That's Juan Soto. So that trade makes a ton of sense, and I'm okay with it. Get Juan Soto out of the National League. If we face him in the World Series, fine. I'm pretty excited about being there, and I would feel good about the Phillies in the World Series. Get him out of the NL. I can't have him on the Padres. Too dangerous. Can't have him on these teams. Um, but watching him try to field in right field in Yankee Stadium would be funny. So that's that's the other piece of this. And then the other uh, big note is maybe a, a Subway Series for Yamamoto. A battle between the Yankees and the Mets, possibly, for the services of the top Japanese pitcher. The Yankees did not give out number 18, reportedly, so that Yamamoto could have it. Uh, Yamamoto still making his decision. Like those are the these are the arms races that I don't really want to be a part of. To be honest, I'm happy with the Phillies getting guys that work for them. And I mean, yeah, here or there, like Harper, Turner, whatever. 
you you end up entering an arms race. But when it comes to desperate teams that have no pitching, that are going to pay crazy money for guys that are either cooked or and this is not Yamamoto. I mean, I think he's going to be incredible. But in terms of there's a desperation level. I think there was a desperation level for Nola, and we are we as Phillies fans are lucky that he decided to return. But when it comes to other pitchers that are out there in the free agent market, like Snell, yeah, I I think he's a good pitcher. I don't want to rely on him to take me to the World Series. I am scared about getting into the massive bidding wars for guys like that. And uh, Yamamoto, while I think he's going to be incredible, imagine staring down the the big bad Yankees on one side and freaking Steve Cohen on the other and thinking that you have a chance to get a guy. It's tough. So when you're able to do what the Phils have done and found Zach Wheeler and continue with Nola and found Ranger and, I mean, have a rotation that seems to be good enough, and remember, have Andrew Painter. They have some top pitching prospects as well. I like that way of going about it. I like avoiding having to target the same guys that the Mets and the Yankees target. Because they're just, I mean, like they're, they're the Mets and the Yankees. I know they haven't won a lot recently, but they still carry that aura, especially with Steve Cohen as the Mets owner, as like, F you, we'll, we'll pay more. We'll, we'll get them to our team in our city. So that's the Yamamoto update. Um, that's really, and then I did say I'd talk more about the Hall of Fame ballot with Rollins and Utley. They're both on it, and I mentioned it's the longest tenured double play duo to ever appear at the same time on the Hall of Fame ballot. I think that's what Jason Stark said. Um, listen, I, I love both. Like Deshaun Jackson retired as an eagle recently. Like those are the guys that got me like really fell in love with sports watching Deshaun Jackson play. I mean, especially watching Rollins and Utley play. And while I would love, like it'd be so sick if they're both inducted in the Hall of Fame at the same time, I can't even say I have my sights set on it. I can't even say I'm tracking ballots. Like Utley's uh, Utley's whole argument is his peak was insane, but he lacked longevity, so his counting stats weren't great. Uh, Rollins on the other on the other side, longevity counting stats didn't have the peak. But I I don't know. Can we start with the Phillies? Like, can we start retiring their numbers? Can we start with honoring them in house before caring about them getting to the Hall of Fame? So I, a, a lot's made about that, and I don't know. I'm not all the way in on it. So there you go. All right, Ben Kenny on the clock. Uh, we'll close it up when we come back. Don't go anywhere. All right, Ben Kenny here on the clock, closing it up. We will talk next Friday. Winter meetings start on December 4th. That, uh, I still haven't looked at a calendar, but that appears to be a date that's coming up. That is, oh, it's Monday. So winter meetings start Monday. We will be back on Friday to talk about them and talk about the news that comes out and talk about what, if anything, the Phillies do, where the big names go, whatever musings uh, I end up focusing on. So uh, between now and then, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the beginning of the holiday season. We'll talk next week. See ya.